Assalamu alaikum everyone and welcome to the Dear Lifesaver podcast by Islamic Relief UK. Here we're tackling some big questions we have about aid in the 21st century, finding out what it takes to save a life and exploring how faith factors into all of this. The biggest question is, could you help save and transform more lives by learning something new about humanitarian aid? I'm Nabila and I'm Sarah and in this episode we're talking to Maria Mahmoud and Hadil Noor of Muslim Youth Helpline. As Muslim Youth Helpline celebrates its 20th anniversary, we look on the journey of mental health in the Muslim community and beyond. The charity has remained a cornerstone for those seeking solace for their mental health and well-being struggles for decades. And in this episode, we're unpacking why more people are seeking help from the Muslim community, the role of faith in mental health, and why safe spaces save lives. We'd like to make our listeners aware that this episode contains conversations touching on the topic of mental health and suicide. It's so lovely to meet you both. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I guess we'd love to start by asking about Muslim Youth Helpline. Um, could you tell us a little bit about its history, what you guys do um, and why it's so important? Lovely to meet you both. I am Maria. I am the director at Muslim Youth Helpline. And I'm Hadil. I'm the helpline manager at MYH. I work with Maria, obviously, and our helpline officers on a daily basis. And I'm also excited to be here and talk to you guys. Well, we are celebrating our 20th anniversary this year. So we've been around for 20 years. And, and through those 20 years, we've changed but ultimately we are an emotional support mental health charity for young Muslims in the UK. Um, and it started by three 18 year olds who felt uh, the gap uh, possibly for themselves or for their friends and family with support provided for young people. MIH exists to fill that gap where there isn't the emotional support that is faith and culturally sensitive or which identifies or understands the needs of, of young Muslims. And, and of course that's ever changing. And I'm sure in those 20 years, the helpline has changed. Um, but you know, we are so close to the people that we serve. We're not so far removed from them. And we're such a small organization that has a huge impact that we're able to quite quickly adapt to those needs. It's a wonderful time to be part of an organization that is making such a huge choice in how we impact young Muslims. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's incredible that Muslim Youth Helpline saw that need 20 years ago when I think it's fair to say that mental health and, and well-being wasn't as much of a hot topic as it is today. Um, because of that, has there been any change in the way people have interacted with Muslim Youth Helpline over the years? I mean, over the 20 years, there has been a lot of change, um, but change also happens depending on what's happening on the ground as well. So uh, particular events that happen in the media, particular events that impact or policy that impact young people, uh, for instance, um, during the first lockdown and as soon as COVID impacted our lives, we as an organisation saw a 313% increase in calls coming into the helpline. So big changes and shifts do impact um, the uh, the calls that come in or the types of concerns that come in. So we do see that being reflected on the helpline. And have you seen that certain pain points in the Muslim community have worsened because of the pandemic? Could you give us an idea of what the Muslim community typically deals with? I think we had a big shift with the onset of the pandemic. Um, so while before and even consistently we have issues um, family issues, um, relationship issues. People call us for Islamic advice sometimes, um, which Maria, uh, it's obviously outside of our remit. Um, but we also noticed calls were almost getting a bit more severe. Um, so a lot more mental health calls. Um, there were nights where we had like majority calls um, revolving around suicide, um, suicide ideation. Um, so it was a big 
shift from what we were used to. Um, and also our helpline officers um, who are amazing had to quickly adapt and start hearing these really difficult conversations and learning how to deal with them within our remit and also finding organizations that we could signpost to that could help these people further. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it was a big shift, I think, for like our organization, like Maria said, we kind of had to expand our remit for the pandemic and say, okay, well, we don't typically deal with this. But now almost every call was becoming a lot more severe. And even the nature of like family issues were becoming a lot more severe as people dealt with new caregiving roles and um, dealing with family members who were getting sick. Um, so yeah, it, it was a big shift. Um, and even even till today, I think, um, we still do get a lot of calls that revolve around anxiety, depression. Those were like two of our highest concerns in the previous months among young people. Um, so it's almost like a whole community changed as well in terms of like what they were facing and what they were going through. I think if we look at overall, apart from the mental health concerns that we get into um, on the helpline, um, a lot of issues around um, the idea and practice of forgiveness. Um, being very concerned about religious guilt and practicing forgiveness, uh, it's, it's a big theme on our helpline. Um, another big theme, and Hedior, you touched on this, was the managing relationships. And I think um, within the Muslim community, and then this is purely from our helpline, across all ages, it's the understanding boundaries in relationships. Mm -hmm. It's a huge concern uh, amongst the people that use our services whether that's people engaging, just calling and wanting to just talk to someone neutral, that's not a family or friend and just describe mm. their situation um, and, and never call us back again, just have that one-off conversation or someone who is a repeat caller who is dealing with um, relationship issues um, and cannot get out of whatever situation that they're in or try to figure out what that situation is. We almost find that young people aren't equipped to deal with some of those big issues that they that, that they're coming to the helpline with um i know you said earlier that at muslim youth helpline you're not allowed to provide any specific islamic or religious advice i guess my next question is uh, how, how does islam come into the approach that muslim youth helpline has yeah, um, all of our helpline officers are Muslim. So our main bit is being culturally and religiously sensitive. Mm -hmm. So a, a huge theme that comes up on the helpline is that um, there's lots of barriers to accessing mainstream services and people really value having somebody to speak with who understands their um, background. So we've had people call into our helpline and say, I've tried going to therapy through the NHS. Half of the session was um, spent explaining what praying is, why my family is the way it is, etc., which is no fault on, on the other therapist, um, but it really highlights the importance of creating these safe spaces for Muslims and for people from all cultures, really, um, where they can go and have somebody have some level of understanding of their background. And um, so also they can create the best plan for them um, that understands that. On the flip side of things, we get lots of people calling in for religious advice because they don't want to go to their local imam because he knows my dad and my dad's going to find out. Um, so even in the in the Islamic world, it's so important to create these confidential safe spaces for young Muslims so they can go and ask um, any question. And it's such a big thing in Islam that you shouldn't be shy about the questions that you're asking and you know the support that you need. So once when we create these like difficult situations, that causes these young Muslims to be secluded and maybe make the wrong decision or make make a mistake and feel like they're stuck in that mistake because they don't know how to get out of it. 
I think what you've said, Hadia, reminds me a lot, unfortunately, of this common misconception within the Muslim community that sometimes a mental health struggle is a deficiency in somebody's deen or the way that they practice their faith. And I I think it kind of undermines what they're going through and can even actually do more damage by potentially disconnecting them from their faith during this struggle. Um, is this something that you've also experienced and can you expand on this? I, I think it's interesting when... Um when we look at mental health and then it's almost an us versus them narrative that exists, exists in the Muslim community where it's like, no, um, if you go and do you end up getting medication or you go, you're going to a therapy, you're ignoring your religion. Um, it's jinn or it's um, evil eye or, you know, we have these themes over and over and over again in the Muslim community. But I, I think a lot of people fail to understand that things go hand in hand and you don't have to um, ignore your identity as a Muslim or ignore your identity, whatever, whatever other identity you have. But lots of times religion can help you with your healing, um, depending on, you know, how much religion um, exists in your day to day life. Um, and within within our faith, there are lots of elements of, you know, um, there's du'as you can use. Um, I remember hearing this from Sheikh Sharawi. Um, he talked about Jonah when he was in the belly of the whale and how he was calling out to Allah um, because he was in despair. It wasn't it wasn't fear he was in. It was it was just a total state of despair. And God helped him out of that. So as a Muslim, it's it's okay to understand that I can go get professional help and I can use my religion as well. It doesn't have to be one versus the other. Um, but I think a big, big part of it is having the Muslim community open up about mental health and having these places like our imams and our mosque, mosques have workshops for older and younger Muslims to make us understand that mental health isn't something due to your lack of religion or due to you being a bad Muslim, but it's just another struggle that people go through the same way I could have a flu or a cold. Um, and I think once we normalize those conversations then Islamic healing can come into mental health. Or if you find that I wanna go the secular route, that's completely okay too. But it shouldn't be an, an us versus them situation at all. As Muslims, how we navigate all of our identities, you know, it's a very holistic approach. That's how we should do, um, take that approach with a lot of things. And and I, I guess with this concern that, that there are two con there are two two issues with this, and and one being that the acknowledgement that you know mental health issues do exist, and then the other issue is acknowledging how to best deal with it. And both um, are under threat, but. I mean, the, the positive that I'd like to uh, to shine in on this conversation is that a lot of the sheikhs that we work with or those that work in masjids that have contact with young people, they are pushing for other people to acknowledge mental health and well-being. And, you know, credit where credit's due, you know, they are part of bigger conversations that are happening because they acknowledge that one of the, the downsides is that, you know, they aren't well-equipped and that's no fault of their own. We aren't supporting them as much because they are, uh, for a lot of people they are the people that they turn to because they feel that they're in a they're, they're well equipped they're in a good position um and so people do turn to them whether it's that individual themselves or a parent or a guardian for support and off the back of that what does it mean to create a safe space for muslims today ah safe space so one of our buzzwords that we absolutely love um saying <laughs> A safe space is some as a space for anyone um, that they can feel safe. They're not going to be discriminated against, uh, whatever your identities are. Um, that that person can feel um, confident and um, 
that they can speak about something without being judged. Uh, it's a very important space for that person to um, be themselves and operate and discuss whatever they want to discuss. Um, and in the Muslim world, um, there are many concerns that young people come to the helpline with, and it's important that we create that safe space. And so many times we hear, um, like, how do you create that safe space? You know, how do you um, develop that space at home or in the community? Uh, and we always say, you know, start having conversations around mental health, make it normal for that person to think, okay, I can clearly talk about some of my concerns, um, or if I'm having an off day, I can clearly talk about that in this space. Um, and acknowledge that some of the things that young people um, are going through today, um, don't belittle those things that you, we always hear our elders talk about, oh, we didn't have half of what you had when, when, um, when we were growing up, like, you know, suck it up, you know, it's not that difficult. The world young people are navigating today is a tough world. They have so many things going on that actually, it's a very different experience to what our parents or even us, how we, what we went through. Um, so accept that their challenges are different and unique and don't belittle it and create that safe space where you're not belittling it, but also it's a very open and uh, trustworthy space for them to talk about anything. And then remember that you may not necessarily be the person to get them that support. Uh, so don't um, don't be offended if you, you they aren't you aren't the person that they choose to speak to, but then help them get that right support. Uh, so don't just shut that uh, that that window. Um, open another window for them. Um, so there are so many ways that you can create safe spaces for young people. Um, I think that's really beautiful, and I think that it's a huge part of our faith that um, we kind of oftentimes forget to practice um, acting with ihsan and good character. Um, and if you're not the right person to help someone, um, or I guess if you don't have the capacity, um, don't stop there and do your best to help guide them to that help um, and make the hour for them above all. Um, in an ideal world, uh, Muslim Youth Helpline uh, wouldn't exist. So what do you guys think would need to happen within the Muslim community in order for that to be a possibility? There are many purposes that MYH uh, fills. Uh, and it's not just uh, to discuss mental health. Actually, people use our services just to have a conversation, to verbalize something because they want to talk to someone neutral and then never speak about that thing ever again. Um, so our service users actually use our helpline for um, many functions and depending on what their needs are, they navigate that safe space. So once again, that safe space is navigated uh, by them. Um, so I think if you know, we all had great mental health. Um, there would still probably be a purpose for uh, our service to exist. It could then just become a befriending service um, or a one-off like space for young people. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so it just goes back to that um, idea of you know talking and um, finding that individual or space to engage in conversations. Um, but if what would the Muslim community need to do to get there? <laughs> that's a very that's a very tough question. Uh, but be more open about mental health. We're, we're moving in the right direction. Um, diagnose appropriately, uh, which is very important. Um, and allow young people to talk without the fear of being judged. Uh, don't close off that space that they think that they can engage in. Um, and once again, don't belittle um, some of the things that they're coming to you for. Um, it's something big in their eyes. Um, and so, yes, it's important to de-escalate that situation, but 
don't shun them because you know what they think is big seems quite petty or small to you Thank you, Maria. Um, I have a question about the challenges you both have maybe faced in the roles that you, you're in and the important work that you're doing, um, especially because there are very important etiquettes and values to uphold as a constant. We've got to remember that everything, whether we consider big or small for that individual calling in, that is their biggest challenge that they're going through. And in their world, um, that's the biggest obstacle. And they have probably tried every avenue and now they've come on and used the helpline. And they have built up a lot of trust um, and confidence to do that. And then they're pouring their hearts out. Um, So without knowing too much information, we've got to treat each call as if that call is their lifeline. Um, And, you know, it might not be the biggest, it might not be a safeguarding concern for us, uh, but it could lead to it. So the way we deal with that call and how we listen and the, um, you know, the support that we give, um, it's so pivotal. And sometimes that individual, it may be a very short conversation and they put the phone down and we don't know what's going to happen to that individual afterwards, but we've just got to hope and pray that they found some kind of solace in that conversation. They found something. Um, so I agree with you. Um, I was thinking the other day, like why, when I've gone through stuff, like why have I never called into a helpline? And so I started realizing I have this avenue of support and this avenue of support. And that's why I've never called in. And like Maria said, it really highlights that some people just have no social support and they have no one to speak with except for us. And so it almost gives you a new perspective on the whole thing when when sometimes like people call in several times and it's like oh like why why are they still stuck in the same state why haven't we we been able to help them it's because sometimes we're their only avenue so I think that's quite difficult to realize um that you know like Maria said you real like you feel so much gratitude for the situation that you're in that it makes you realize the gravity of everyone else's situations that unfortunately they don't have somebody to speak with in their life that they trust um so I think that that's quite humbling and quite quite difficult to to go through um along with what Maria is saying with forgiveness and I think for me suicide is really difficult to hear every single time because it's somebody who is just tired of what their situation doesn't really find a way out of it and so they think this is my only way out and even people who are just dealing with or who are dealing with suicidal thoughts think every single time that's quite like difficult and scary to go through. One of the last questions we have is how does one advocate for mental health in the Muslim community and beyond? I think maybe um, you can't advocate for something if you don't understand it. So I think it's our mosque's responsibility. It's our responsibility to really educate people about what mental health is and how to achieve good mental health. Um, And also that um, it works with our religion and not against it. Um, So I think maybe that's a great first step is education. Um, And I I guess a big part of that education journey starts with resources like Muslim Youth Helpline. Um, How important are donations to the charity? What keeps you guys going um the donations are very very important uh they allow us to operate every day from 4 p.m to 10 p.m and answer each call um and more donations we have the more people we have on um, our helpline operating and answering those calls um we went and we still 
going through a period where we are unable to answer all the calls because we don't have that many people operating on the helpline in comparison to the large number of calls coming in. So we do miss calls um, and we can never know whether that missed call was a call that really, really needed our support. Uh, so it's so important um, to support helplines, but also mental health helplines. And in particular, uh, ones that support young people because a lot of the time, if they're not, if we don't answer, sometimes they may not have any other avenue to go to. Um, so yeah, it's it's a very interesting conversation about supporting domestic charities and causes. Um, and I would always encourage people to look at when you're when you're looking at donating. Sometimes we do think about you know let's it has to be so far removed from our lives. It has to be somewhere abroad or somewhere international. Uh, but also look at the smaller charities that operate very close to home um, and what they are doing and the types of work that they're doing. To volunteer on the helpline, you don't need any credentials. We um, have a really nice and intensive training program that exposes you to everything that happens on the help, almost everything that happens on the helpline. Um, and um, it helps train them on how to handle calls, emails, difficult calls, et cetera. Um, and yeah, so um, next cohort, it, it'll always be advertised on our social media um, and as well on our, our website if anyone wants to join us for volunteering. Thank you to both Maria and Hadil for joining us for that conversation. In this segment, Nabila and I like to get back together and discuss some of the things that resonated with us most. Nabila, what were your takeaways this time? Um, I feel like with mental health, it's a topic that's discussed very often nowadays. And to hear it from the perspective of Maria and Hadil, um, who, who are working in this space and, you know, having these really kind of heavy conversations day in and day out. It, it kind of gives you a whole new like outlook. Yeah, and I, th I think that um, it just shone a light on the weight of the work that they're doing because I think that mental health struggles is something that each of us can resonate with on, on some level and for some of us it's um, a higher degree than others and, and just knowing that no matter what degree it is that it's, it can be really heavy that somebody is taking on that role of, of creating that safe space for you is really something I find, I, I find myself so grateful to exist I love how you've um said the word safe space as well because I think very often we don't I guess it's it's hard to kind of visualize it in that way because it's over a phone but it, that's exactly what it is it's safe space and one of the kind of reflections I had um so this past week marked um Muslim Youth Helpline's 20th anniversary um and I think that growing up I didn't know about it and I was like seven or eight when they launched it's only in recent years that I've really come to understand its presence and the work that they do. And it's such an incredible privilege to have, um, you know, a faith-based call centre helpline, you know, that's specifically kind of, you know, for our community um, and, of course, beyond. Um, you know, growing up, you hear about Samaritans and other helplines, but um, knowing that there's one specifically that's faith-based, yeah. it gives you another kind of solace, I guess. And, and the work that they're doing is just, mashallah, really incredible. I think that's a, I think that's a really good point as well, because now Muslim Youth Helpline is that reference point for a lot of people. And I really loved what she said also about the small interactions we have on a daily basis. And how, like, I think it's just about bringing that very um simple awareness to how our everyday interactions are affecting people's mental health around us and just looking at it from that macro kind of lens mm -hmm. um because i think th these days it's it's because we have so much else to contend with not 
being very nice to somebody on the tube or etc could really just have a much a much greater impact and I think this podcast is really that continuation of normalizing how these interactions badly affect people and I think that's something also explained really beautifully in our faith and it was made such an important point by the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam um you know they they were they were given as much weight as really important fic you know that it's important to give a smile or it's important not to backbite it's important not to even not say salam and things like that you know yeah. um so i think about like when we talk about this like overarching discussion of mental health struggle that in itself can be quite overwhelming sometimes but knowing that without reducing the severity and complexity of some of these discussions that it can be as simple as having ihsan with the way that you interact with people even what you were just saying about the smiling thing like i feel like yeah that you know the whole like smile it's in there like you see it on like badges and like school resources and i think we kind of it's like this underrated thing now where because it's seen like so often but actually um there's a reason why it's a sunnah there's a reason why we're rewarded for that and um i was actually speaking um about this with one of my friends the other day that there are so many acts um of goodness um and even you know bad deeds that are really underrated or like overlooked by a lot of us just because of just because of how it's seen um in like popular culture in the media and i think it's kind of going back to basics yeah. and one of the things that maria mentioned um that kind of really resonated with me was um listening how before she joined Muslim Youth Helpline she was like I thought I was a good listener until I joined Muslim Youth Helpline it's so incredible how um you know the helpline officers at Muslim Youth Helpline and other organizations um it's this very like simple and underrated act of just sitting down and listening to someone and again i think um in terms of like faith perspective there's that's within our faith as well and how the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam used to turn his whole body and his you know all of his body language would be directed at that person he'd give his full attention and it just shows you how these things that you know we we have every day in our lives and engage with we overlook or underestimate the impact it really has i don't think this discussion is necessarily left out of the equation any longer but i think it's more that there is still this need to really normalize it and create tools and touch points and safe spaces for people because mental health is one of those struggles that can happen in really incremental periods over a very long period of time as well and fight and people find themselves debilitated maybe not now but in the next 10 years or 20 years it like compounds um which is is really quite scary for a lot of us which is why it's important to take stock of ourselves um every single day i think that's one of the big takeaways i've had in this episode is like what can we do from a faith perspective what does our sunnah and fiqh teach us to to do to take care of our bodies and our minds on a daily basis um as well as long term and and also all of the amazing resources that are out there um outside of the deen as well um ones that complement each other quite well work together to kind of um really give us the information we need to be able to take uh, stock it's also just not one of those journeys that you can really compete with yourself over i think it's important to know this discussion is not to reduce 
you know, the very real, um, sometimes inexplicable struggles that, that people go through with their mental health and well-being. There are all facets to it and uh, spiritual development is just one of those um, and finding comfort in um, and solace in your faith is just one of those avenues. And I think that when it comes to safe spaces as well, I think really embodying those values of listening and then we become safe spaces ourselves. We become those mirrors that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted us to be to each other. Um, and I think that in doing that, it might help somebody else who does have this overarching or maybe like very overwhelming struggle um, seek the help they need by somebody who can professionally help. Um, yeah, so th- you can chat with uh, Muslim Youth Helpline confidentially on 08088082008. And they have um, an email system as well. So, um, and they're on social media. So Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And um, if you can as well, um, do support them. Um, you can make a donation, you can volunteer, you can work, you can fundraise for Muslim Youth Helpline. And um, we definitely encourage that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, if anything resonated with you from this episode or inspired you that you'd like to share with us or the listening community, why not get in touch with us? You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Islamic Relief UK. And for future episodes, make sure you guys subscribe to the Dear Lifesaver podcast on Acast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and all major streaming services. Thank you again to Mario and Hadil for joining us on this episode and to you, our listeners. We'll see you next time, inshallah. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.